he's growing in his uh, trust of God, and uh, he he did he did real good last week, didn't he? What did he do? He went and rescued his it, yes his nephew. his nephew yeah Lot. Well, who did he rescue him from? You don't have to tell me the name. Yeah, a bunch of kings came and kidnapped Lot, come and destroyed all the cities, and Abram went and saved them. Right? Y'all with me? Everybody awake? You need some coffee? Y'all good? All right. So chapter 15, what we just saw, let me just go and explain it to you, especially if you weren't here last week. Abram went to, uh, uh, these kings came down from Mesopotamia. They came, came from the east, northeast of, of the land of Canaan. And they came down through uh, conquering cities, uh, cities that had rebelled against them. They uh, uh went conquering down the east side, came back up. They conquered Sodom. They conquered different lands. Where was Lot living? He was living in Sodom, so they took him captive, and they started back up toward uh, the north, and and all the kings were defeated. But Abram took how many men? Three hundred eighteen. That's right, three hundred eighteen men, and he went and chased them down, and he conquered them, defeated them in a night raid, uh, and he brought Lot and all the spoils back, and he met with two kings, Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. Remember, we saw Melchizedek was the kind of a type and a shadow of who Jesus would be—a priest uh, and a king—and uh, he, Abram, paid tithes to this priest and this king. He kind of rejected the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom wanted to give him, you know, some of the goods. And Abram said, I've made a vow to the Lord that I'm not going to take anything from you so that you would say I've made Abram rich. He was protecting God's glory and giving him the battle. And so Abram's coming off a high point. He's coming off a point where, I mean, you're looking at him and you're thinking, man, he has got it going on. He has grown in his faith. We've seen him fail a couple of two or three times. The next chapter, chapter 16, we're going to see him fail miserably again. So he's not the perfect man or anything like that. He's still a sinner, just like you and I are. Um, but in this chapter here, I want you to see in the, the there, it's really two sections. Uh, verses one through six is going to be um, it's going to be God reaffirming his promise to Abram and then the rest of the chapter is going to be God making his covenant with Abram and it's going to be really important uh, do any of y'all have the outline with you you have it with you I'm going to need to read yeah let, let me you don't I don't need it but you just read them verses when I when we get to them okay because I don't have them in front of me I, I wrote them down with uh, if any of y'all want the outlines before we start I usually text them out so if I don't have your number give it to me after or you can go to the website, jasonvalada.com, and get all that stuff. Good well, thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. So Abram, we're looking at him right now. He's a man of faith. He's a conqueror. He's done defeated all these kings. He's been in the promised land uh, probably around 10 years. And the next chapter is going to tell us he's been in there for 10 years. So this might be a little earlier, eight years, nine years. He's been in the uh, land of Canaan so far. And there's still something lacking. God promised him that he would make him a great nation when he brought him from his homeland to the land of Canaan. Canaan God promised he would be a great nation. He promised his, his descendants would be as many as the sands of the sea or as many as the dust of the earth, he said. And still, Abram's lacking something. What's he lacking? An heir. He's lacking, yeah, an heir, a son. There's, he doesn't have any son. How old is Abram by this time? 
If he's been in the land of Canaan 10 years, how old was he when he came into the land of Canaan? Oh. No. He's 85. He's about 85 now. He was 75 when God called him out of the land of Canaan. 10 years, thereabouts. The next chapter is going to tell us he's 10 years, so he might be a little earlier than that. But he's around 85 years old. Still no kids. How many of y'all want to have a kid when you're 85? <laughs> That's a big negative. All right. So uh, what God does here is God's going to come to, he says, after these things in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1, what are these things? After what things? Come on, drink some coffee. Y'all going to talk to me. After what things? After he returned with the spoils and after he met with Melchizedek and the king of Sodom, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. Now, God comes to assure and encourage him. He says, I'm his shield. What does that mean? I'm your shield means? Yeah, yeah. I'm your protection. Same thing. I'm, I'm the one that's going to protect you and I am your reward. Why do you think he would say that to him? I mean, we're kind of speculating, but he, he, Abram, after his little, his little um, military uh, victory, now he has, uh, he's made a lot of people mad. I mean, he's got some serious enemies. Now he's got all those armies from Mesopotamia that he had raided in the middle of the night and took all the spoils and took a lot back. He's got those that hate him. Now he's also ticked off the king of Sodom. Remember what he said? Sodom said, I'm going to grant you the spoils. And he said, I'm not taking nothing from you. So he, he's making a lot of enemies. And so if I was Abram, I'd be worried. God comes and says, don't be afraid. So evidently Abram probably was a little fearful. Um, he says, that, you know, don't be afraid. I'm your shield. And he says, I'm your reward. I'm your reward. Remember, Abram gave up all those spoils to the king of Sodom. He said, I'm not taking none of this stuff from you. Uh, he says, I'm your reward. Um, one of the things that we see over and over again is there so many of so many people, uh, including saved people. I'm not just talking about them people out there somewhere. I'm talking about us. Uh, so many of us tend to think that God is a means to get what we want rather than God himself is the goal. He is our reward. You know, uh, heaven is a place where I get, you know, fed grapes on a couch by a beach somewhere rather than the place where I get to be in the presence of God. And God himself says, I am your reward. Now, what we're going to see here is Abram, he's a man of faith. He's a man that believes, uh, but he's growing in his faith. And he is, he's going to ask some questions of God here. He's going to say, and Abram said to the Lord, incidentally, this first time that we've seen Abram actually speak to the Lord. I'm sure he did, but this is the first time it's written in scripture. Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me seeing that I go childless and the steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, behold to me, uh, behold to me, thou hast given no seed and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So he's questioning how, how, how do I know that this is going to happen? I mean, what will you give me to show me that uh, you are my reward and you are my shield? Because to be honest, you know, you, you called me to this land when I was, you know, 10 years ago, around 10 years ago. And so far, to be honest, the promised land kind of stinks. I mean, we've seen famine. We've seen... Uh, 
We've seen it not be able to sustain him and Lot together. We've seen it being attacked by armies from outside. Pretty much this land that was supposed to be wonderful, was supposed to be great, it pretty much it pretty much stinks. And besides all that, you said I was going to be a great nation. You said you was going to give me lots of descendants that uh, through the whole earth uh, would be blessed through my descendants. And I still don't have the first son. I mean, I, what is it that you're going to give me, really? I mean, is this, you think it's, uh, I don't know, what's the right word? You think it's wrong for him to phrase his question this way? I mean, it almost sounds like, verse, verse 3 almost sounds like he's blaming God. You know, he says, he doesn't say, well, I don't have a seed. He says, behold, to me, you have given no seed. He's like, you hadn't done what you said you were going to do yet. You know, what are you going to give me to show me that this is going to happen? Because you haven't really done. You think he's getting impatient? Mm -hmm. What would you be feeling? Sometimes God calls you. Sometimes God will. Well, just take for simple. You know, when God when God uh, calls you to come and be saved and come to be part of his kingdom, to come and be adopted into his family. There's this idea that all of a sudden everything's supposed to just turn up roses and all my problems are going to disappear. And I don't have to battle with sin anymore and I don't have to fight the world anymore. I don't have to I don't have to deal with hard circumstances anymore. And it's just not true. You know, God called Abram to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And the first thing that happened was a famine. I mean, the first thing that happened, and he, we've seen obstacle after obstacle, trial after trial in his life. God called him to be obedient. Abram was obedient. And to be honest, the 10 years that he has been in the land, he's really had nothing but one trial after another. One problem after another. How would you be feeling? That's the question. Feel abandoned. Feel definitely. We already said impatient. We'd feel what? Discouraged, maybe a little bit. I guarantee you, I'd be discouraged. I'd be full of anxiety and just worry. Worry about whether it's going to happen. Yeah, I would too. I would too. I don't have no definite answer. I'm just asking you. How would how would you be feeling? Frustrated. Frustrated. Be feeling a little. I mean, you ain't supposed to say this, but feeling a little betrayed, maybe. You know, uh, what are you going to, I mean, you ain't, you haven't done anything that you said you were going to do. How do I know that you're going to keep your promise? I mean, you're not supposed to say it like that. And we're not supposed to, you know, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to pretend like everything's fine. So, you know, we're in church. We're supposed to pretend like we don't have no problems and we're supposed to pretend like everything's good. And, right. Wouldn't that affect like his trusting in the... I uh, absolutely. I would think it would. It would, it would, it would make him start doubting a little bit. Start doubting. I mean, I guarantee you it would all those things. He's saying, how am I supposed to know that this is going to happen? Um, to be honest, a, a son is necessary for him for all the other promises to take place. I mean, he's not ever going to be a great nation until he has that first son. You know, he's not ever going to have a seed that's going to populate this land that he's been given until he has the first son. So really, this promise is going to proceed. All, so until this one's fulfilled, nothing else that God has promised him is going to be fulfilled. Um, and so he's, he's probably impatient. 
And if you were God, you've seen, you've seen through Adam and you've seen Cain and you've seen Noah and you've seen other people kind of what I would call smart off to God a little bit. And God has come down hard on, he was kind of kind to Cain at first when he smarted off. And he was kind of, if you were God and Abram doubts your promise, what would you do? You, you know, you, you think of God as this, you know, this divine deity on the mountain hurling lightning bolts down at you if you if you do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing but that's not what he does he comes gently he he comes understanding that this abram is just a man he's not he's not a perfect man he's not a sinless man he comes to him in verse 4 god says and behold the word of the lord came to him saying this shall not be thine heir but he shall his heir shall come forth out of thine own bowels which means his body shall be he shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look toward the heaven and tell the stars, which means count the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed or thy descendants be. He said, uh, This guy, this Eliezer of Damascus, that was the thing. If you were, if you were a, a rich man uh, in the ancient Near East, you didn't have any heir, you would, the, the head servant in your house would be the heir of all your stuff. And he says, God, what are you going to give me to show me that this is going to happen because uh, I don't have any seed. I don't have any son. Right now this guy, Eleazar of Damascus, this servant that's in my house is going to inherit everything. Uh, I'm not going to have a seed. And God reassures him, assures him again, says no, this one, this Eleazar, he is not going to be. He says the seed that's coming, the son that's coming from you is going to come from your own body. That's important. Remember that. He's going to come from your own body. That's going to be important in the next chapter when we get to talking about Sarah and Hagar and all that. So remember that. God promised Abram that it's going to come from your own body. And then he takes him outside. He says, look up at the stars. He says, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as all these stars. Count them if you think you can. Have any of y'all ever tried to count stars in the sky? You get lost easy. You get lost easy. And so he says, if you can count them, he says, that's, that's how many your descendants are going to be. So basically, God just reaffirmed his promise, really. I mean, he, he just reaffirmed his promise, gave gave him another another word he gave him another word and so in verse 6, this is going to be really important. This is where this first section ends. God came. He says, I'm your shield reward. Abram says, how do I know? I mean, it really, the stuff is really jacked up right now. And God came and said, no, this is what's going to happen. From your own body, this air is going to come. And, you know, it's going to be innumerable. And so it says in verse 6, is a very important verse. You probably should underline it or make a note beside it. Verse 6 says, and he believed in the Lord and it count it was and he counted it to him. God counted it to Abram for righteousness. Some of some of them may say reckoned. That's the way Paul says it. Reckoned it him. He credited it, it him. He counted it to him as righteousness. Uh, he the he believed the Lord. A better way to say it is he trusted the Lord because the way we use the word believe, I mean, it, it's really lost some of its meaning because, to be honest, I believe I'm going to go to my parents after service today and I believe mama's going to cook me something really good. I'm going to eat. I believe that, you know, son's going to come. I can believe all kind of things, really. But what we're talking about here is trusting. Trusting myself. You know, uh, Dana went, where's Dana? She ain't here yet? 
Dana went to Chicago in a plane. I hate flying. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. And I didn't have no problem putting her on a plane. I believe she's going to get there. I believe she's going to get back and everything's going to be fine. It's different when I have to step on a plane. That's trusting. You know, I'm trusting my life to the plane. You know, I'm not getting on the plane, but I'll be happy to put my wife on a plane. You know, <laughs> so there's a difference between because I, to be honest, when she got on the plane, I truly believed I, if I actually had the glimmer of a thought that the plane was going to crash or something bad was going to happen, I would have never put her on the plane. I would have never let her get on the plane, but I truly believed everything's going to be okay. But it's different when I'm going to have to step on the plane because that's not going to happen. And so it's trusting myself. Abram, Abram trusted himself to the promise of God. He didn't just say, oh, okay, it's probably going to happen. It's all good. He trusted himself. He, he believed him. He believed in a way that gave himself to the word of God. And it was because of this trust that God um, counted him as righteous. Make sure you see that in the text. What does it say? It says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness or for righteousness. It's um, it very possible that you could say that. Yes. I believe, I believe I, the reason I say that is because um, Paul uses this. Uh, James uses this. Uh, you got that outline. Is Are those verses listed in the outline? Will you read those verses? Uh, was it Romans 4? Read it real loud. We can hear you. Sorry. For what say the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's Romans 4. Okay. Verses 3-6. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Yeah, and then James also says that as well. But there's three different three different apostles. Uh, no, I guess two different apostles. But Romans, Galatians, Paul wrote those, and then James. All three of those sections point to this particular passage to show that trusting is what brings salvation. Trusting is what brings righteousness. And this word counted... Um, it's it's almost like an accounting term. It's almost like some of them might say reckoned. It says that in a couple of different places. James says imputed. Imputed, yeah. That's a. Uh, and one thing also James says it says in the scripture was fulfilled because of Abraham's righteousness. Because of Abraham's righteousness. Okay. It's just like right. Right. Okay. So anyway, what the point that the point that he's making here is that these New Testament apostles use this verse, Genesis 15:6, to uh, illustrate to us that it is trusting in the Lord that imputes righteousness to us. That's where this whole idea of, you know, and this morning we talked about repenting and believing in the gospel. This whole idea of belief uh, bringing salva salvation, trusting in the Lord bringing salvation. This is not something new that just started in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture, the very beginning of the earliest points in time where God was oh, dealing with Abraham and Noah and, and Adam and all these because they believed God. It says He believed God. And 
and it was counted to him. It was placed on his account. It was imputed as a good word. Righteousness was given to him because of his faith. And we're going to see that faith played out in his life and obedience and all those kind of things. But it was because of his faith that he was declared righteous or he was counted righteous. Y'all with me? You understand? So the whole thing that he makes, the whole the whole case of Romans is that righteousness by faith, by grace through faith, is not something new to the New Testament. It's what has always been God's way of dealing with man all the way back into, into Genesis. Everybody got that? Understand? Now, the rest of this chapter is verse 7 through 21. We're going to move kind of quickly through it. This is my favorite scene in the entire Bible. It is so, it's, it's powerful to me. And if you want to mess somebody up, you can say, they'll say, what's your favorite verse? Uh, and I usually say, um, I usually say that it was, uh, oh, now I've lost it. Uh, I usually say it's, it's Genesis 15, 17. You write it out. And people call stuff your life verse or whatever. It says, 17 says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. So that's my favorite verse. And people look at you like, what? Don't, what does that mean? And the truth behind that verse, what it means, and we're going to explain it here, it's just amazing. It's amazing. What we're going to see from 7 on to the rest of the end of this chapter, 7 through 21, it's only 14 verses, so it won't take long. Uh, God is making a covenant with Abram. He is formalizing the covenant. He's going, to make a, he's going to go through the ceremony of making a covenant, and it's not going to end the way that everybody, early, the early uh, people reading this for the first time would think it was supposed to go. I'll show you what that means when we get to it. So what he does is he repeats. Uh, he's repeated the promise of a seed, right? Abram says, what are you going to give me? He says, no, you're not going to have Eleazar. It's not going to be your seed. One from your own body is going to be your son. He's going to come forth. Uh, Abram believed God, counted to him for righteousness. Now God is going to reiterate the call to uh, the promise of the land. In verse 7 it says, And he said to him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. He reaffirms that land promise. Right. And then he said, same thing we saw earlier. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How am I going to know that I'm going to inherit it? So Abram is still asking questions. He believed God and it was counted to, counted to him as righteousness. But he's still asking questions. Uh, how is this going to be? I mean, to be honest with you, there's a lot of hostile nations in this land. There's a lot of people that hate me now in this land, especially after chapter 14. How am I going to know that I am going to inherit it? And it says, this is a very strange answer. Verse 9 says, And he said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, to answer his question, he says, Go get these five animals. Now, that, don't, that seems really weird to us. But no one knew exactly what was going to happen. Because in the next verse, he, God doesn't give him any instruction. He knows exactly what to do with them. He says, And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds he divided not. Now, what we're seeing here is an ancient Near Eastern custom. There have been finds in what's called uh, uh, the... The Mari tablets and new, just different ancient Near Eastern uh, 
documents written on tablets and uh, archaeological things that have shown us, uh, along with Scripture, that to make a covenant in the Old Testament times, in the ancient Near East, what you would do is you would come and you would bring these animals, different kind of animals. In some cases, it's a donkey. some cases, it's a cow. some cases, it's different kind of animals. And what you would do is you cut them in half. You'd cut them in half and you would set the pieces out in a row like like this. These chairs would be lined up and you would set the pieces out amongst the chairs. And the two parties that were making a covenant, usually it was a suzerain or a vassal king. They were making a, a covenant like I'm going to I'm going to pledge my loyalty to you and, and pay tribute to you. And then this king is going to give protection and he's going to get, you know, army, whatever. Uh, and they would they would set the terms of their covenant and then to seal the covenant, whereas we would would sign a contract or shake a hand, they would walk through the pieces together. And basically what they were saying was, if any, if either one of us break this covenant, let us be like these animals that we've divided and set uh, apart. Right? Y'all with me? Any questions? What? Read that verse in uh, Jeremiah that's there on your outline. It's, here, let me do it. It's a big, long verse. You want me to do it? Yeah, Jeremiah, you see this in Jeremiah 34, 17 through 19. I wrote it in the outline, but I didn't write it out. It says, this is God speaking to his people about them breaking their covenant. It says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, this is Jeremiah 34, 17. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, you have not hearkened unto me in proclaiming liberty, everyone to his brother, every man to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim a liberty for you, saith the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, and to the famine. He says, I'm going to bring sword, pestilence, and famine on you. He says, I will make you to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of my covenant, which they made with me before, when they cut the calf in twain and passed between the parts, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs and the priests, and all the people of the land, which passed between the parts of the calf. So he's talking about when I made the covenant, when I set the covenant, what happened? We cut the calf into two, and then we made the terms of the covenant, and then we walked through the pieces. So Abram knew exactly what was going to uh, what was going to happen. So he says, "How am I going to know I'm going to get this land?" God says, "Okay, go get me these five different kind of animals." Abram knew exactly what was about to happen. We're about to make a covenant. God and I are about to make a covenant. So Abram takes these animals. He starts cutting them in half, which is kind of awesome in itself. And he puts the parts out, lines them up. Okay, and now Abram's looking at the animals and he's saying, okay, we're ready to make this covenant. Okay, and all of a sudden he's standing there and God doesn't show up. Okay, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to sign the contract. We're ready to make the covenant. Silence. No God. God hadn't shown up. And it says it waited, he waited so long that birds of prey, scavengers, started coming to the pieces to try to eat them. And in verse 11 it says, And when the fowls came down uh, upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. He's waiting on God to show up so they can make this covenant. God is going to promise me, this is probably what's going through Abram's mind, God's going to promise me the land. He's going to promise me the seed. He's going to promise, he's going to make all these promises that he has made already and we're going to covenant together. We're going to, uh, we're going to sign on the dotted line would be to speak. We're going to make a contract that he is going to fulfill all these things. If I'm Abram, I'm thinking, I wonder what my part's going to have to be. 
God's going to do all this for me. I wonder what my part of the covenant is. God's going to come tell me what he wants me to do. What he wants me to what he wants me to uh, to do to keep his covenant. And so he's waiting and waiting and waiting. He's looking around. OK, I'm ready. I'm ready to make this covenant. And uh, the, he's wait so long that the birds are coming to try to take the pieces. He has to fend them away. And then it says in verse 12, when the sun was going down, you know, it's done got late in the day. I'm still waiting. God's supposed to show up and tell me what I'm supposed to do give me the promises that he's going to do and he's going to lead me through the pieces we're going to walk through them together and bind ourselves to this covenant but the sun started going down verse 12 a deep sleep fell on abram and lo a horror of great darkness which means uh, a terrible darkness fell upon him uh, usually comes with the presence of the lord you know the presence of the lord we talked about that before uh, people talk about standing in the presence of the lord it is a terrifying thing to stand in, for, in the presence of a holy and righteous God. We've seen that over and over again. Uh, it says a terrible darkness fell upon him and verse 13, God comes and explains the terms of the covenant. He comes to him as he slept in a vision and tells him what this covenant will consist of. He says, and he said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. What is he talking about? Egypt. He's talking about slavery in Egypt. He says, listen, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a seed. You're going to have a great nation come from you. But that great nation is going to be slaves in a strange land. They're going to be slaves in a strange land for 400 years. Actually, 430 years, but kind of rounding off, I'm sure. 400 years, they're going to be slaves in a foreign land. In verse uh, 14, he says, And also that nation whom they shall serve, talking about Egypt, we know that, that's going to be in the Exodus. He says, Will I judge? How will he judge that nation? With the plagues, yeah, with the plagues. We know the story. And we're looking backwards, so we already know what's going on. He says, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. How did they come out with great substance? Anybody remember the Exodus? Pharaoh gave them riches to get about the land. Pharaoh did. The Egyptians themselves. They just want, remember, after the death of the firstborn in Egypt, the Egyptians just wanted them gone. Here, take all this stuff and get out of here. And they gave them gold. They gave them all kind of stuff. And they just sent them, y'all go, go away. And so God is foretelling all of this that's going to happen to Abram. And he says, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. He says, basically, you're going to die before you even see any of this land promise come to pass. You're going to die. He says, you're going to die in peace and you're going to die in a good old age. Abram needs to come to grips. Abram has been asking questions. God, what are you going to give me? I don't have a son. What are you going to give me to show me that it's going to happen? God, what are you going to do to show me that I'm going to inherit the land? God's telling him, look, you're going to die before all this happens. But you're going to die in peace and you're going to die at a, at a ripe old age. Uh, your, your children, your seed is going to inherit this land. And uh, you, you're not going to be the one that'll, that'll do that. And so in Hebrews 11, verse 9 and 10... It says, is that on that outline too? You just need to give me the outline. You ain't using it, are you? No. Okay. I, I should have wrote all these verses down. In Hebrews 11, 9, and 10, you read this. 
it says, By faith he, talking about Abraham, sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. This is the country he's sojourning in. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. This is important. It says, For he, Abram, looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Ultimately, Abraham knew that this little stretch of land by the Mediterranean Sea was not the ultimate fulfillment of the promise, but he is looking for a greater city whose builder and maker is God. And we know, of course, because we have the whole of Scripture, that that city is what? Yeah, the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem of uh, of heaven, the city that we have. And so he says, you're going to die. He says, your people are going to go and they're going to spend 400 years in slavery. We know that's going to happen at the end of Genesis, beginning of Exodus. We're going to see that. And then they're going to come out with plunder because God's going to judge Egypt. He's going to judge that. Remember, all this is God making his covenant with Abram. You're going to die in a great old age. Verse 16 says... But in the fourth generation, 400 years, they shall come here again. They shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now that is important. Now underline that. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You ever heard somebody say, you know, this whole Old Testament God is just really mean because poor old people in Canaan, when Joshua came through, God told them just to kill them all and drive them out of their land. What kind of God would do that? Have you ever heard that argument before? Sure you have. You can nod. It's okay. Y'all with me? Y'all wait? Yeah. Okay. God gave the Amorites, all the ites of the Canaanites and all that, 400 years to repent. Did they have a priest or a prophet that was there to show them the true God in the land? Yes. What was his name? Melchizedek. <laughs> Close enough. Melchizedek. Remember, we met him last week. There was a guy, a priest of the true God. Melchizedek lived right there in Canaan. So they had uh, at least one, probably more than one, a priest showing them the Most High God. And God gave them 400 years to turn to Him, to turn back to Him, to repent of their sin, to turn to the true God, to give up their idolatry. And so when their sin was full, it says, for the sin of the Amorites is not yet full, God sent Israel through Joshua to come and wipe them off the promised land. Of course, they didn't do that. They weren't obedient. They left some still in the land. But the idea that this, you know, God, all these innocent people in the land just did. God gave them 400 years to repent of their sin and they refused. If you go back and look, there's ancient uh, inscriptions and archaeological evidence that we find that the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the, all the ites that lived in that, in that region uh, were, by the time Joshua swept through were absolutely idolatrous and I mean giving their children, burning their children to the god Molech, just all kind of awful, horrible, horrible things. Uh, And so God was within, well within his rights of justice to do what he did. He said, your people are going to go off to Egypt and they're going to be slaves there and then 400 years when the sin of the Amorites is full, they're going to come back here, but you're going to die in an old age. And it came to pass 
Verse 17, that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between the two pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto the seed, have I given this land from the river Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. What's supposed to happen? God is supposed to come and he's supposed to give his covenant. He's supposed to tell Abram what I'm going to do for you. And then he's supposed to tell Abram, all right, Abram, here's your part of the covenant. This is what you have to do in order to earn what I've said. And there we walk through the pieces together. But what did happen? God, because he could swear by no one greater, swore by himself. He, in the form of a smoking furnace and a fire pot, and you see that over and over again. You see uh, God appearing in smoke. He's descending in smoke over the tabernacle when God's presence comes. He's a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, which is smoke. Uh, as the people go out of Egypt the, on Mount Sinai, the, over and over again through the Old Testament, God. every time you see the presence of God, you got fire and you got smoke. Here's the same thing. The presence of God comes and God walks through the pieces by himself. Abram's still over there asleep. Abram sees God come and swear a covenant by himself. So what is Abram's part of the covenant? He doesn't have one. He has trusted in God and he's credited to him as a righteousness. And that's it. Everything else, the promise of God, the covenant of Abraham sworn by himself. He alone takes the responsibility to bring it to pass. Abram doesn't have to do this, that or the other in order to earn what God has told him he's going to have. It is a done deal. God walks through the pieces himself, covenants with himself. Book of Hebrews, I think, says because God uh, could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. He walked through the pieces alone and he made the covenant alone. The covenant doesn't depend upon Abraham. Why is that important for you and me? Because we know by this that we can trust him just like Abraham did. That's right. And also, the New Testament authors talk about over and over again, remember Galatians, who is Abraham's seed? Isaac. Well, yes, it was Isaac, but now it is everyone who is in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, the whole chapter. Everyone who is in Christ is Abraham's seed. Galatians 3.29 says, If you be in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? This promise. That you will be that you, by faith, have been given righteousness and that we too are waiting on this land, this city that his maker and builder is God, that we are uh, covenanted, 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 is that a word? Covenanted, covenant, promised, that's what he is, <laughs> promised to, to uh, obtain by grace through faith. And that city is it's heaven. It's the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. It's being in the presence of God. The New Testament authors over and over again make us in Christ heirs to the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic promise. Over and over. I could point you to at least 10 verses throughout the New Testament that say we are the heirs to Abraham's promise. And Abraham's promise was given without stipulation on Abraham. God walked those pieces alone. He covenanted covenant 
he promised by himself alone and there is no stipulation. All Abram had to do was trust. All he had to do was trust in God by grace through faith. You believed God and it was credited to credited it was reckoned to him <laughs> as righteousness. Okay? Everybody understand? Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? I like strange questions. Well, I'm going back a little bit. The um, yeah, probably they were little. If you look, there's a whole books written on this. I, I didn't mention it because it wasn't germane to what we were talking about. But those five animals would later in Numbers and Leviticus be the primary animals that were sacrificed in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the altar. Uh, and the pigeons, the, the the turtle doves, the different the different kind of birds that were allowed to be brought. If you were if you were a poorer person, you couldn't afford to bring a bull or a cattle or all those things. It says you could bring pigeons and all. Those did not have to be prepared the same way as the other ones. And so, really, to be honest, I can't tell you for certain, but I'm thinking it's just because they were tiny. They were tiny. And so he, you know, he killed them, put one on one side, one on the other. I can't give you a definite answer. I mean, it might be something real spiritual in there that I just don't know about, but that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Okay? Anybody else?